As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Together, we'll explore and enjoy content and conversations around mastering transitions. In our relations, our wellness, our careers, our families, and especially in our missions and visions. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I am here with longtime friend and colleague in the yoga world, in the activism world, Carrie Kelly. Welcome to the podcast, my lady. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Yeah. We are recording this just prior to the election, but for both of us, it feels as though this thing has already happened. We don't know what the outcome is when you listen to this, but we do know what needs to happen, whether it's the orange overlord or Joe Biden and Kamala, my queen. We, we still have healing to do. And Carrie and I are here for a brief moment to talk about what it means to hold all of these disparate truths in one body and somehow stay steady. So for me right now, Carrie, I just want to introduce you to my listener. You are the founder of Citizen Well, C-T-Z-N-W-E-L-L. Listener, go ahead. Get distracted and look it up right now. C-T-Z-N-W-E-L-L. This is a movement that Carrie has founded to mobilize the well-being community into a powerful force for change. She began this work on 9-11. She lost her stepfather, who was a fireman, in the towers and quickly discovered the power of yoga and mindfulness, not just as a tool for personal healing, which you already knew for a long time, but as a catalyst for collective change. Since then, Carrie, you've worked to organize communities around the fight to create more justice, more equity, and indeed well-being, and to marry the two together because they're not, they weren't actually. Mm. And I feel like you've caused an awareness around that. Uh, last thing I'll say about you, you're a yoga teacher, you're a public speaker, you're a change agent. You are recognized across communities for your work to bridge these transformational practices with social change and politics. And I want to talk about that first. Um, you've been instrumental in translating the tools of well-being into practical applications and social action in the public sector. And you work in collaboration with community organizers, spiritual leaders, policymakers. You've really actually inspired a, mu a movement to democratize well-being. And it's actively organizing around issues of economic justice, racial justice, universal health care, civic engagement, and obviously much more. You have an incredible podcast, CTZN, <laughs> Citizen, okay? Definitely look that up. The two places I want to start. One is, have you read Donut Economics yet? <laughs> no, I haven't. You have to read that book. First question. No, wow. you, ha you have to read that book. Donut Economics is amazing because she's what she's talking about is the fascinating bit about the, the students of economics realizing across the world, this is not just relegated to one country, 
that the very fundamental principles of economics being growth is a massive problem. And we have to start training ourselves to getting used to what we'll call more sustainable economics rather than growth economics, because the growth is killing our planet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a great, great, great book. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. right in the middle of it right now. And I'm like, you know, folding every page, underlining every freaking line. I, love books. I mean, those are fundamental questions, right? Because yeah. we can talk about this, I think, on an economic level, we can talk about it on a personal level or yes. a collective level, right? Yes. Like, what are we growing? What are we growing for the sake of? Right. How do we know when we've grown, right? Um, what are the costs of growth? Are we willing to actually, you know, measure the trade-offs often, right? I mean, we're looking at, you know, many, many years of, of runaway capitalism and, and, the, and the cost of extraction, right? We're seeing play out in spades before our very eyes right now, whether it's to the collective um, health of our, our people or whether it's to, um, you know, the, the degradation of the planet. And so anyway, so I think those, what you're naming is fundamental to this conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a part of our personal practice, but it also needs to be a part of our, our political practice, right? Yeah. What is, what kind of growth are we talking about for the sake of what, and what are, what are the trade-offs that we're willing to make yeah. and what are the trade-offs we're willing to not make right yeah. what's the line in the sand so that we grow in a way that's sustainable bridging transformational change in politics has been a hot topic for a very long time i've had teachers on both sides of the fence i've had some teachers say never mix your yoga and your politics me too and i've had some teachers say like you like sean many many of us who are just like, finally, Amy Apolti, we're finally realizing, hey, actually, you can't divorce your transformational yoga practice and meditation practice from what's happening on the political stage. Because if you do, you are actually causing yourself to divide yourself and precisely numb yourself in precisely the ways we're trying not to do mm. in the practice. I mean, it, it plays into the myth of separation, right? That that I think in many ways our transformational practices are designed to heal us from, right? The idea that our individual well-being is separate or distinct, right? Or isolated from the well-being of other people, from the well-being of our systems, from the well-being of the planet is just absurd, right? When you actually think mm -hmm. about what, what yoga and wellness and transformational practice are trying to teach us, they're trying to teach us about wholeness. They're trying to teach us about the inherent interdependence of all things. Um, and so it was always so strange to me, right, that the wellness practice, the yoga practice became um, so insular, right? So um, almost some, so shielded, if you will, from the messiness of the world, because the messiness of the world is in fact the practice, you know, and I learned that the hard way on 9-11. I actually found yoga during the time that I was recovering and healing from the loss of my stepdad around 9-11. I lived in New York at the time. You know, we lost 15 people in my hometown. Wow. Um, and so for me, like the yoga was always deeply embedded in this sort of moment where my eyes were open to the world, where literally I felt like the world landed on my doorstep. And, and the yoga was the thing that helped me navigate my relationship to the world, my relationship to the uncertainty, right? My relationship to the fear and to the complexity of what it is to be one human among many humans on the planet. 
Um, but to your point, you know, the, the myth of separation that I think is endemic to our dominant culture has seeped into our wellness practices. And we've come to believe, I think, especially in sort of the commodification of wellness, if you will, that we can keep wellness to ourselves, that if only we meditate every day and drive a hybrid and eat organic, you know, and give free hugs, then we've done our part. And, and we know now that that's not enough. And we also know that if we, if we continue to separate the two, we're actually causing, as I said just before, this sort of like psychotic break between what we know to be true and what we're doing to heal. So we can't, we can't actually separate the two. I just, I just can't, I can't wrap my mind around why people think that that's true. That's an important point to make for people who I think are, are driven, um, who are inspired and motivated by the, the desire to become individually whole or to become more well, that like actually by turning our backs on other people, on the suffering of other people and the suffering of the planet, we're actually causing a further fragmentation of the self. We're, we're actually causing a, um, a, a splitting, if you will, yeah. of, of the whole self. Um, that is the very opposite of the thing that we're actually desperately seeking, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is the thing that pulls us apart from ourselves and one another. Yeah. You said that much more eloquently than I did, my dear. <laughs> the fragmenting. Thank you. <laughs> really, thank you. Talk to me about the function of Citizen Well throughout this election. Yeah. And then we're going to get into what we all need to do now to heal ourselves from the inside out. Well, you know, I mean, Citizen Well was around before the 2016 election, and it really emerged out of my experience in part with Off the Mat Into the World, right? Because um, I spent seven or eight years with Sean and Hala and Suzanne and, and the whole yoga community really exploring the relationship between personal transformation and social change. And we did that through... Uh, community organizing and humanitarian work and fundraising and um, and ch and charitable work. But along the way, I realized that if we were to actually make an impact, um, if we were to push up against enormous systems of oppression, enormous systems of separation and division, we actually had we had to do that in a systemic manner. And so the all of the like little things that we were doing, I know I believe that they actually aggregate into big things, but it did feel like we were missing an opportunity as a community of 80 million people, right? Who are engaged mm -hmm. in health and, and sustainability and wellness to actually aggregate our efforts, our voices, our votes, our money, our intentions towards um, a political platform that was really advocating for the well-being of all people. Um, yeah. So it, was sort of, it sort of came from the acknowledgement that there was a huge well-being gap in our country, even in our community, right? Yeah. Between who gets to be well and who doesn't. But it also came from an aspiration, if you will, that we're an enormous constituency, I would say untapped and latent, quite frankly, constituency of people who have not aligned their money and their political power around the values of interdependence and compassion and nonviolence and cooperation and sustainability. And that if we could do that, that we would be as powerful as, say, 
an NRA, right? Or an AARP. So that was the impetus that gave birth, if you will, to Citizen Well in the community as we really stepped boldly into that space. And we were like, we as a community have got to get politicized because we know that yoga is political inherently and because we have an opportunity to do something here. And so we did lots of different things. You know, we um, we fought for fast food workers. We fought for uh, Fight for 15, which was to raise the the minimum wage to $15. We did food system reform. We did we worked on uh, voting rights legislation. We did all sorts of things, you know, and then 2016 happened. And, you know, I want to say that, like, I feel like we saw that coming in many ways because we were on the ground and in the street. Mm -hmm. And yet I think the wake up call for me, Elena, was that you know, 53% of white women voted for Donald Trump. And, and I knew that there were people in the wellness community that made up, right, that statistic. And so it felt really important to actually go back to the roots after the 2016 election to revisit, like, what is, um, you know, what are the values, right, that enabled this man to get elected? Yeah. What is it that's in the way of people getting engaged politically? Why did so many people, 117 million people, opted out of the election that, mm. that put Donald Trump in the White House? Mm. So it really was like, it was, a, it was a really important teacher, I think, for us mm -hmm. to help us really locate ourselves in the problem. What is our role in all of this? You know, um, and that's when we really started to, to dive deeply into um, dismantling um, white supremacy work. I'm really trying to understand, like, how is white supremacy alive in the wellness community? And how is that enabling people like Donald Trump to get elected? How is that enabling uh, law enforcement to harm brown and black people? Um, so, so that became a big part of our work. But it also was just like a returning to the question that you asked at the beginning of this podcast, which is like, how is it that we do not practice politics every day? How is it that we were asleep at the wheel for so long, right? We would, we would vote every four years if we were lucky. And how do we actually build a practice of politics that is as everyday, as consistent, as endemic as our practice of yoga and meditation? Let's talk about that for a second, because I feel I what I want to go to now is how do we actually bring everything back together, hold all these truths in one place? The amount of learning that we've done between May and now is astronomical. The understanding that I've gained around what I didn't learn in school regarding mm -hmm. white supremacy, what I didn't understand regarding my own whiteness and all my privilege. These are things I had no idea about. Mm -hmm. And so all the learnings that we've all had, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, <clears throat> you're now much more aware of your whiteness than you were. And if you're a black or a brown person and you're listening to this podcast, you know how much I respect and honor you. If you don't know that, that you should know. But what I want to know is Carrie Kelly, what do we do now? Like, how do we, and I have a few thoughts, how do we remain in a political awareness as we do our transformational practices? One question. Second question, how do we make sure that there is more equity, equality in the wellness spaces in which we roam? Because there hasn't been. We now know that. We now know who has access based on how much money they have 
to the yoga studios, to the classes, to even online. We know that too. So these two questions sit in my mind. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll share like three, three things are coming up for me in response to what you just named. One is just to the, the first thing that you mentioned is that I do think that we all have to continue in this, this process of, of reckoning with how did we not know? I do think that we have to continue because I think there are answers in that for us that will point us in the direction of the root of the problem and, and how to strategically respond in this moment. I see that also acknowledging that it's not just about all of us doing our anti-racism work in a bubble and, and reflecting and educating ourselves because we have to also take action, right? We don't have time to wait for everyone to get woke. 100%. Right. We have to be doing all these things together. And what I and I say that because I want to acknowledge that it will be messy. It will feel uncomfortable. You will have you will have many questions along the way. You may feel guilt and shame. What one of the questions Robin D'Angelo asked on my podcast that literally stopped me in my tracks is she said, How how is it possible that we didn't know? Like, how is that even possible? Right? Hold. I, I just want to hold on for one second because I have I take issue with the way that she tends to shame. And I want to say this out loud because I think it's important. Of course, we didn't know because it's not in the textbooks. The teachers are not incentivized to teach us about this as a bunch of white kids in some suburban school somewhere. Of course, we didn't know. All of that is true. And now it's our time to actually continuously learn. So if you're listening to this, the election is over. I don't care who won. I mean, of course I care. But what I care about more is, are you still doing the work of healing racism in your own body and in your community. What are the actions you can take? Can you have a conversation with somebody of color? Can you actually offer help to somebody of color? If you are in a position of any privilege at all, can you perhaps create some sort of scholarship situation for people of color in whatever it is that you do? Think about it. I think all of that is true. And I guess my my loving challenge of, of that is that is that I don't actually think this is about shame. I actually think it's just about about holding hard questions for ourselves and for one another. And I for think we sure. can do that with love, right? I think we can do that with love because I agree, like all of the things that you named are true. Like we didn't learn these things in textbooks. People in power have very deliberately denied, including this truth, right? These truths in the media and, and in information. And we have TV, We, I mean, we have the internet, we have Google, like, this is the um, threshold I'm holding myself to, right? Mm, Which is mm. like, because, and I say that also because it's like, what do I still not know, right? Even as I'm awakening, like, what do I still not know? How do I actively and proactively engage in learning more? So I just, I name that because I, I'm trying to like be in those questions, Elena, without I'm, sure. I'm, and I'm trying to push myself to be more curious yes, without spiraling to your point into, into shame and guilt mm. that, that me back from engaging and connecting. So I think that like, how do we continue to do that work fiercely is, is sort of one part of it. Job I think one. the other part is, I think the other part is like, I want to like, not skip to like the big stuff. I think it's like, how do you wake up every day the way that you wake up every day and contemplate your wellness and what you're going to eat and when you're going to meditate and how you're going to take care of yourself? Like, how do we wake up every day and be curious about how are people being taken care of in our country? what's going on in the world, right? And I say that also without like encouraging people to get like sucked into Twitter every day, but I do think we have a responsibility 
to be curious and aware um, and hungry for that information because we understand that we can't be well in isolation. We can't be well in a way that's separate, right, from what's happening in our country. So what does it look like every day to like, you know, one of the things I've been doing is just like having, it's like allocating a certain amount of time each day to like go through the news. And I'm like, what do I need to know about what's happening in the world today? And then it's like, what do I do with that? And then sometimes I just journal about it. Sometimes I feel called to act. But I say this because I'm trying to actually integrate a new practice mm. into my everyday, the way that I integrate all sorts of spiritual practices that allows me to expand the idea mm -hmm. of practice to include others. Right. So right, like, what, right. what does that practice look like? Again, that's not like you becoming obsessed because I've been there. It's not helpful, but that's actually holding a question each day, doing a little bit of research each day. Like, what does that ritual look like for you? So that's the second thing. And then the third thing that you started to get into is what do we do? Right. And there's small things and big things. So I think in the wellness community, I think we need to start asking questions around um, who's in charge. Um, who's leading classes, who's included, who's left out, um, who are we designing wellness for, and who does not feel um, like they're a part of that vision, who gets to make decisions, who has power in wellness. So I think there are lots of questions we can be asking about the governance, if you will, just to politicize it, the governance of wellness. And that can be the governance of your local yoga studio. It can be what's happening in the magazines that you subscribe to. It can be how you um, manage your social media feed. It can be how you tell the story of your own personal life and your own political wellness. So I think that there are sort of like wellness related questions that we need to be asking um, that are critical, quite frankly. And, and I think in doing that, we have to be willing to, to be bold and to disrupt, right? I think we actually have to be willing to take risks and ask hard questions of institutions in power, um, whether that's the Yoga Journal or Yoga Alliance or your local yoga studio, about demanding equity in these spaces, about um, demanding access, right, in the form of whether it's economic access or whether it's physical access or whether it's access to different types of identities, right? Demanding different leadership, right? Some of the things that, that I do personally is that when people ask me to speak or to teach, my first question is who else is teaching? Because I, I just have chosen to not, I, I won't actually participate in an, in an event that isn't committed to equity and inclusion, mm -hmm. um, right? So like, what are the, um, the negotiations and the agreements that I have with myself and how I engage in wellness that actually helps advance okay. um, inclusion? And then there's big political stuff, right? Which is like, what is what does well-being look like right on a national level what does well-being look like when um not everybody was able to get tested during the coronavirus how how is like well-being even play into that right, right. what does well-being look like when so i just read an article today that said 1.2 million new yorkers are getting their food from pantries yeah that's happening right now what does well-being look like when so many people um th th there was also another um headline I saw today around like millions of people slipping into poverty. No one's slipping into anything. They're being pushed into poverty by this administration, right? So my point is like, how do we start to like see the news, not as like this thing that's happening to other people or this thing that's sort of foreign, 
but like as an actual inquiry around well-being, how can there be well-being for anyone when so many people are living in poverty? How can there be well-being for anyone when 220,000 people have died unnecessarily to this virus because we don't have systems of care, systems of prevention? So that's when politics for me honestly got personal because I started to like actually see all political issues through the lens of my wellness practice. And that's when I was able to connect the dots. So for my listener who really wants to have a say and have a voice in all of this, the election is over and there are reparations. There is healing that needs to take place. Talk to me about one, and I want to get super practical and granular. I wake up in the morning. This is my listener. Wakes up in the morning, one, chooses how to take care of him or herself, chooses how much time to spend on news or social media, mm-hmm. chooses exactly where, based on what you see in the news or social media, would you like to take action in the advancement of this conversation? Equity, trust, mm-hmm compassion, harmony. I think those three kind of buckets are really nice to sit with for now. Mm-hmm. You know, I um, the first thing that came to mind as like what I believe to be a really impactful building block or technology for mm-hmm. what happens next, which is what you're what you're asking, because yes. I, I want to acknowledge we're having this conversation before the election. We don't know what the outcome of the election is. It is likely we will not know the outcome of the election for many, many weeks. Yeah. Um, and even when we do know the outcome of the election based on the way things are going right now, many people in this country will be led to believe that that outcome is is false, that that mm-hmm. outcome Mm-hmm. is not valid, right? So I say that because I, I actually think, and this is where I do think our spiritual practice comes in big time, I actually think we're going to need to hold a great deal of uncertainty and unrest and instability for the next few months in a way that we haven't before, quite frankly. And I say that because I think, you know, the spiritual practice is actually what helps us hold that those questions, right, with with grace and with courage um, and with patience. Um, So I I just want to hold that for a moment that I believe that's going to happen And the thing, the very tangible thing that came up for me when you were saying like, how do we do this is what I imagine for like the movement isn't necessarily like many millions of people in the street. Although, you know, I love that work very much. (laughs) Um, We do know that about you. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not afraid to like throw down in the street and get arrested, but I actually think that the technology that is going to help us build a future that we all deserve is by actually building community where we are. Um, So one of the things, for example, we're doing pre-election is that we're encouraging people to actually have living room parties, ballot parties, um, whether that's on Zoom or in, in real life, depending on where people are, so that people can get into a practice of actually having conversation about politics with one another. Um, because we know that we we don't all know everything about politics. It's not about being an expert. It's not even about being right. It's actually about being able to be in relationship, being able to be in conversation, being able to be in community politically, right? So what does it look like for us to start to build community 
in the same way that we build community around shared practice, right? During coronavirus, everybody was coming together on Zoom calls, right? Some people were doing little pods of practice, right? Because they knew that they could come together in groups of three or four. What does it look like to actually start to like expand that practice to include conversations and even like collective action around politics? You know, one of the things that, that we've been exploring at Citizen Well is what sanctuary looks like post-election. Yeah. When are going to feel targeted and threatened and and rightfully so and if the economy stays on on this trajectory people are going to need care right they're going to need support and so what if our our yoga our small yoga pods or our community groups then became sanctuaries right in mm. that like we we're able to respond to like who needed what on our block right yeah, yeah. Who, who needs a meal right now who needs a ride to the hospital right who needs just like company because they're afraid of what's playing out in our country? And to me, if we can actually build those sort of microcosms, right, of like political community and not just political community, I mean like political and yoga community, like a kind of community that is embodying the bridge that you named at the beginning of this conversation, yeah. that's embodying shared values and practice, but also embodying political um, literacy and, and political action, those are the building blocks of how we start to build from the ground up a new kind of practice where politics is never separate, where politics is never left behind and also where healing is never left behind. I mean, you mentioned that like for people outside of the wellness community who might be politicized, like they may not have a practice of self-care and healing. No. And so how do we understand that politics is about healing mm -hmm. and that healing is about politics? and start to actually live that with one another, live that in our everyday, and live that also in how we respond to the really big moments, which are gonna be, which are gonna be coming, right, in the next couple months. Final question. If healing really is about politics, and politics is really, really about healing, okay, how do I explain that to my listener who's sitting here going, what the F is she mm -hmm. talking about right now? Well, it's funny, the way that I define politics, so I think I'm really glad you asked this because I think we're all holding a definition of politics that that is either different from one another, but is also deeply toxic, quite frankly, given the way that politics is playing out in the world right now. The way that I have defined politics for myself is politics is simply a system of how we take care of one another and the whole of who we are in the US. It's, mm. it's actually collective care, right? It's the systems that provide people what they need, the conditions, the access, the agency that they need to be well on their terms. And unfortunately, it's just been terribly corrupted. Totally, right? And so when I when I think about why healing is, is political, I think about how our systems are sick. Our systems, right? Our system of healthcare, our system of housing, right? Our, even our like democratic systems, right? Are really sick, they're ill. Um, they're toxic, um, they're, they're um, compromised, right? And so how can there be any healing, right? When the containers and the systems that are meant to take care of our, the collective is compromised. So that's how I think about it. I think we have to heal our systems, even as we heal ourselves and one another. And if the systems, if, if the house, if you will, imagine the system is a house, if the house is crumbling and falling apart around you, nobody can be well under those conditions. And so if in order for us to be individually and collectively well as a people, we have to heal our systems. We have to heal our history. 
And then we have to imagine new systems, right? New containers, new pathways, new, new cultures, right? Of how we actually take care of the whole of who we are so that not just no one is left behind, but so, so that to your point earlier, so that no part of ourselves are left behind. So that it's whole systems that are treating the whole body that is treating the whole the whole population, right? And when we get clear that that's our vision for well-being, then everything becomes political and everything becomes healing. Right. May it be so. Yeah, and may it be so. And 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 it's going to be a journey, you know, in the same way that the yoga journey is constantly unfolding and it's a it's a life path. You know, this will be a life path, undoing and unraveling and unlearning 400 plus years of oppression is gonna take time. Deconstructing and dismantling the, the toxic and ill systems that we're a part of is gonna take time. And so how do we actually hold that knowing and do what we need to do together with one another to take care of ourselves and, and, and each other, even while we build the new, more beautiful thing that we wanna be a part of? Thank you for that. Thank, Thank you so you. much for that. This is, um. This is a very difficult time. If you're listening to this right now, your responsibility is to take care of yourself, learn what you can, take action when it's called for, when you feel like it's appropriate, and when you have gas in the tank of your life, as it were. And if you don't, finally, your responsibility is to ask for help. Yeah. Make sure that you feel that you can, that you are surrounded by people who want to help you, and that you have resources. Let me just repeat where we are. C-T-Z-N well. Will you tell us every single website where we can find this work and all the interviews that you've done and all the learnings and the summits that you've held with all these incredible luminaries of color? Where can we find all of that for my listener? So if you go to uh, ctznwell.org, you know, everything is, is there. Um, we're also active on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And our podcast is on Apple iTunes. It's a beautiful exploration of, I think, all of the things you and I just talked about. Um, it, it holds the the hard questions, but it also holds the hope of what it is to, um, to come back into community and accountability with one another. So you can find us on all of the podcast platforms. Check out our website. Feel free to follow us on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, and we'll keep you in the know about all the things and also give you ways to take action and take care. Carrie, thank you so very much for your time today. Really appreciate it so much. Thank you, Elena. I always love talking to you. Oh, love you, girl. Thank you love for you being back. here. Okay. Bye, my girl. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 
75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com dot com forward slash e-l-e-n-a take ownership of your health my listener and thank you athletic greens and ag1